welcome to Speaking of College. Welcome, it's your source for reliable knowledge. Oh yeah, we got Dr. P as your host. As your host, we gon' tell you what you need to know. Need to know. Need to know. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. Grow. Get more knowledge. Knowledge. Welcome to Speaking of College. Speaking of College. Yeah. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and I am so excited to have you listening to this first episode. On this show, I'm going to share relatable conversations about some of the most important college topics. I'll add a segment called Did You Know? And I'll close each episode with a segment called Ask Dr. P. Now that you know the flow, let me tell you about today's show, which is all about college costs. My guest is Gilbert Bonafay, a financial aid expert who makes the most complex parts of paying for college sound so simple. We're going to talk about what makes college expensive, how students can pay for it, and his advice for how to manage student loans. During the break in our conversation, I'll tell you about an option for earning money while learning in college. And after that, stay tuned through the rest of my chat with Gilbert, because I'll wrap up the show with a really good question about how students can pick the best courses. Now let's get into the show. Welcome back to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's show is all about college costs. If we think about the main factors in a person's decision to go to college, I'm pretty sure that college costs will be very near the top of their list. So I knew I had to invite an expert to join me for this conversation about college costs and how students can manage that cost. That's why I'm so excited to have Gilbert Bonafay as my guest today. Gilbert currently works in the Office of Student Financial Services at Georgetown University. Prior to that, he held roles in two nonprofit organizations, Higher Edge in Connecticut and College Advising Corps in Pennsylvania. Both of those organizations are focused on helping students work through their college application process and their financial aid process. I personally can confirm that Gilbert has a commitment to helping students understand their options for paying for college because a couple months ago, I got a chance to attend a workshop that he delivered for a set of high school students and even I learned things I did not know about the financial aid process. On a personal note, Gilbert lives in Washington, D.C., but grew up in the Bronx, New York, and earned a scholarship from the Posse Foundation to attend Dickinson College and complete a bachelor's degree in Spanish. He also has a Master of Education degree with a concentration in higher education from the Harvard University School of Education. Gilbert, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It is a pleasure to have you here. I have to say that of all the episodes I've been playing, this is the one I've been most excited about because I think that when everybody's thinking about college, the first question they have is how much is it going to cost and can I pay for it? So I got a lot of questions for you. and I'm going to break them up into two sections. First, let's get down to basics. So um, let's talk about you. You mentioned um, in your bio that you sent me that you went to Dickinson. I see that you have your Dickinson shirt on right there. Take me back, take us back to the very first day and when you had to make a decision about where to go to college. So what were some of the factors that influenced your decision to go to Dickinson? So actually, I didn't really know many people that graduated from college. So um, I hadn't heard of very many schools beyond local community colleges in the Bronx. And so um, I knew that I wanted to major in business. And um, Posse had a list of schools that they participated with and so I randomly picked three schools in the posse program that um, had a business major 
and Dickinson just happened to be one of them. And I was very fortunate and lucky enough to have gotten the Posse scholarship and also to have gotten in because um, at the end of the day, I had just applied to those three schools. I think it's, it's always nice to look back. It's the same first question I'm going to ask every guest, just to take our audience through the same process that we went through, which is that sometimes you don't have all the information. You have to make the best decision you can with all the options that you have you know, in front of you. So I'm ready to get into a college cost conversation. If you are, I got the first one, which is that one common descriptor of college is that it's expensive. And so if we think about all the different costs there are for college, usually tuition comes up at the top of the list. But what are some of the other main things that students have to pay for? Yeah, this is a great question because people tend to focus on the aid and financial aid and scholarships, et cetera. Um, but to me, uh, the example that I give is like having a coupon and focusing on the coupon, but not knowing whether you're going to buy milk, bread, or eggs, mm -hmm. right? So what is it that you're purchasing with this financial aid? So before you um, talk about financial aid, I think um, it's important to know what are the costs associated with college. And so there are three main expenses, generally speaking, that if you're thinking about college would be associated with that. And it's tuition and fees is the first, the room is the second, and board, which is your meal plan, right? And so those three um, are, if you're going to live at a college, right? So you're going away um, and you're uh, living there, then you'll have tuition and fees, room and board. And then those three expenses are generally charges by the school and they're referred to as direct expenses. And then you might also hear the term indirect expenses, and that those are expenses that are not charged by the school, such as books or travel to and from the school. Mm -hmm. uh, I oftentimes hear people combine room and board as though it's one thing. And I don't know that the average person knows that board is the food part and that well, we probably can figure out the room part is, is uh, the other. So. Uh, I got a fact or fiction question for you. So fact or fiction, is it true or not that private colleges cost more than public colleges? So this is a tricky question to um, put into just fact or fiction. Mm -hmm. um, it is fact um, because uh, it is true that um, generally speaking, private colleges tend to cost more, but there is a very big difference between what the school costs and what the student pays. And so I think um, having that distinction is important. And that's why you want to know um, what the costs are. And you also want to know what your financial aid is. So uh, I think I'm, I'm always one who's looking for a good analogy. And so I think if, if you've ever purchased a car, anybody listening has ever purchased a car, it seems like the advice that someone always offers is pay attention to the sticker price versus the actual cost of the car. Um, is that something that can relate to, to college costs? Is it that the price that you see advertised online is the actual cost, the sticker price is the cost? Or are, are some of those costs variable to the point where you could say there's some uh, wiggle room or um, room to manage those costs in a different way? What, what would you say about that type of analogy? Absolutely. Whenever um, I helped students through the application process, I would say <clears throat> that Understanding what the financial aid is paying for is important, but if you focus on that, 
then um, it can be overwhelming because you think, oh, I'm going to be paying X amount. Well, you're not paying X amount. It's what it costs. So going back to the example of me having the coupon, right? It's like you go into the supermarket because you have a coupon mm -hmm. and then thinking that you're going to buy the milk at full price, right? You're not. You're going to use the coupon. And so you want to remember that there's financial aid that is there to assist students. And <clears throat> so one of the things that you want to do is that you always want to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples, mm -hmm. right? So if you're comparing a private school to a public school in terms of costs, right? You don't want to look at the charges. You want to look at what it costs minus your financial aid. So um, that's something that's a little tricky to do, right? Because you have to wait until you have the financial aid packages from the different schools. But once you do, you should sit down and you should say X school costs and it's a private school costs um, X amount, subtract out your aid, and this is what it's gonna cost me personally. And it's, a, it's something that is individual by student. So if there's one thing that you should take away from today, it's that um, look at what it will cost you because it doesn't necessarily mean that that private school is out of your reach. Um, that private school might actually be cheaper than the public school. That is definitely an interesting way to think about it. And I really like the coupon analogy. So uh, I think I got a bonus question, one that you might not be expecting, but I think you can go with me on this one. So I could see someone listening to this and saying, well, how do I know what the value of my coupon is? And so to translate, how do I know how much aid I have that I can use in coupon, coupon type format and apply to the overall cost? Is that where the uh, free application for federal student aid or the FAFSA comes into play? Right. So that would be um, definitely part of it. So the FAFSA is um, the first form that you want to fill out. And once you fill it out, it will help you determine um, what your expected family contribution might be for many schools. And the expected family contribution is also called the EFC. And so if your expected family contribution is on the lower side, right? So, you know, $1,000, $2,000, then that means that you might be receiving more aid from the schools in order to attend. Um, and another form that you might hear about is called the CSS profile. So if you fill out both forms, um, those forms together, again, come together to um, give you that expected family contribution. And it's something that you want to keep in mind because the lower your expected family contribution, the more likelihood you are at having more financial aid. Awesome. Gilbert, I'm telling you, this is resemblant of the workshop that I saw you deliver. Uh, I've, I've never heard anybody make such a complex process sound so simple. So uh, I think I want to tap into that now. We're going to go to the break. And when we come back, we're going to have the ask the expert section. So we've done the basics. We've talked a little bit about financial aid. We talked about the analogy of a coupon. We talked about what the major cost is going to be. But I know somebody listening is going to say, I need some strategies. I need some tips. I need some advice. Tell me what to do to manage these costs so college expenses won't be overwhelming to them. So let's go to the break. When we come back, I'm going to have some ask the expert questions for Gilbert. 
Did you know that many colleges have on-campus jobs? That's right. You could work in an area of campus for a few hours per week and earn money to help you pay for your college expenses. If you'd like to know more, try contacting your campus career services office and ask them about on-campus student employment. Now you know. All right, so welcome back. Ready for the Ask the Expert section, Gilbert? I'm ready. All right. Well, the first question is that um, for some students who've never been to college, the list of expenses and ways to pay can seem overwhelming. So we use uh, the FAFSA, for example. Some people may not know what that is. And even after they do figure out what it is and they get through that really lengthy application, they still might have a little bit of confusion. Where can a student go to get a clear explanation of how much college will actually cost them? So there are three recommendations that I have um, when you're doing, going through the college application process. The first is if you know the schools that you're applying to, many schools, if not most, will have what's called a net price calculator on their website. And a net price calculator is a tool that you can use to determine roughly how much it might cost you and how much you might receive in financial aid um, to go to that college. So net price calculators um, can be helpful for a lot of students and a lot of families to, if they're trying to get an early indication of roughly how much will it cost me to go there. So that's what you can do um, from the individual schools. And something that I would do if you're exploring and you don't know which schools you want to apply to yet, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, a tool that I used to use was um, the collegeboard.org um, uh, college search function. And they, um, their college search function has uh, something that you can look at and see the um, average um, cost for a student or the average need met. And so the um, need met is what you want to focus on. You don't want to look at the average financial aid package because you don't know where you fall in the average, right? So if you look at the average financial aid package, your um, average might be below that or above that or where you fall in the average. So what you want to look at is what is the average need met? Because if you have high need and the school sa says that they, um, generally speaking, would provide 90% need met, then that means that um, that's a school that you want to have high on your list. And um, I would say the third kind of recommendation I would have is a the reaching out to the financial aid department at the school itself. So once you've presumably done the research, you've applied to schools, you've done the net price calculator, reach out to the financial aid department itself and say, hey, how much aid am I receiving? And are you able to give, give me a, a picture of roughly what it will cost? Mm-hmm. 
And I have a great follow-up question, but I actually want to take a little bit of a detour one more time again. Uh, it just dawned on me. I didn't tell the listeners what shirt I'm wearing. So today I'm representing Ohio State University, mostly just because I have family in Columbus, Ohio. And it reminded me of a question that might come up with regard to college costs out of state versus in state. Is there anything that you would add to your, your discussion about that um, for students who are thinking that they want to go to a, a school that's not in the state that they originally grew up in? And how does that impact costs? Sure. So <clears throat> this is a great question because out of state and in state as a concept only applies to public schools, not to private schools. And so if you're interested in going to Dickinson College, right, uh, in Pennsylvania, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, Dickinson is a private school. And so um, the costs associated with that are the same whether you live in California, New York, Florida, um, it, it doesn't matter. The in-state versus out-of-state um, concept only applies to public schools. And the reason for that is because generally speaking, your parents are paying taxes in that state. So if they're paying taxes in the state, part of their taxes are going towards paying Ohio State. Um, and so what ends up happening is that you can get a little bit of a discount over someone that doesn't live in the state. Mm -hmm. And so the in-state versus out-of-state could have a huge impact on how much it'll cost you to, to go to the school. So I would definitely um, take a look at, well, if I'm thinking of Penn State, maybe I um, live in Connecticut. So um, if I'm thinking of Penn State, well, is there a program that UConn will provide for me um, that Penn State, that I'm interested in taking in Penn State, and I can instead do it at UConn because it would be cheaper for me to go mm -hmm. to UConn than to Penn State as a Connecticut resident, for example. Yeah. Gilbert, I tell you, the, the third suggestion that you offered is golden. Of course, number one and number two are as well. But the idea that you should connect with somebody in a financial aid office is just phenomenal. And I, I can get personal now and say, uh, when I was growing up, you know, and got to be a, a senior in high school, uh, my sister and I grew up in Florida. And so I'm wearing this Ohio State t-shirt thinking about options. Ohio State wasn't on my list. But every time I thought about a school out of state, I thought about, you know, expensive costs and things like that. I did not know this answer. But I had a cousin who was the financial aid director at the local community college and she was the one who helped us fill out the free application for federal student aid and to submit all of our uh, information for room and board and so just to have somebody that you can talk to and ask these questions to is fantastic so I'm, I'm this show has already accomplished all of what I wanted to do and we haven't even gotten to the hard questions yet so my next one is a harder question so I think you probably could flip on any uh, television station. And if the show is talking about college, the first thing they'll mention is the cost. And the next thing they'll mention is the student loan or debt crisis. And so it's at the top of everybody's minds. Political candidates are talking about how they might try to erase some of student loan debt, things of that sort. If we use that coupon analogy that you mentioned earlier, so you take your coupon and the cost of college is there, you apply the coupon and there's money left over that still has to be covered and you don't have it. I imagine some might look into loans as a way to fill up the rest of the cost. So, so let's say if we were going to buy the milk, you apply the coupon, it leaves you a certain number of dollars left to be paid. The student loan might be an option. I imagine in your role in the financial aid office, you see a lot of students who are paying for college with student loans. 
thinking about all that you've given in terms of advice to all the students out there, what are two or three things that you think our listeners should keep in mind if they currently have student loans or they're considering student loans to pay for college? Yeah, so generally speaking, there are um, two kind of groups. There are private student loans and federal student loans. And then the federal student loans, there are different types, subsidized, unsubsidized, there's also a parent plus loan that's specific to parents, but um, some things to keep in mind that I always recommend to students is you can pay off your federal loans early. So um, there's a word deferment, uh, which means that when you take out your federal loan, you don't have to start paying it back immediately, right? You take out, uh, it disperses, Right, which means that the, the loan pays out. And once the loan pays out, you can um, start paying it. Maybe uh, if you drop below uh, half time or um, once you graduate, right, that's when your repayment begins six months after that. And but you don't have to wait until that point to start repaying the loans. What as a recommendation, I always tell students growing up. I always had, you know, a family member or two that for a holiday or for my birthday, they would give me $10 or $20 and say, you know, buy yourself some ice cream or food or whatever. And I would make pretend that I didn't have that money and I would just take it and apply it to my loan. Right. And, um, any, every little bit counts because if you pay $20 now, that could potentially be hundreds of dollars that you save in the long term in terms of interest that um, might accrue. And um, something else that I would recommend to students to think about in terms of loans is that um, your deferment, as saying this before, uh, is only in place while you are enrolled at least half time, which um, means six credits, right, for undergraduate students. Mm -hmm. And this is something uh, really important to keep in mind, especially students that um, have a non-traditional track, right? So um, maybe you're uh, doing a, a part-time, you're working part-time and trying to go to school part-time, right? So it's really important to keep this in mind because if you um, are in that camp, and you decide, you know what, I'm going to take a year off. Well, if you decide to take a year off, you start to get letters in the mail saying your mm -hmm. loan is now, has now gone into deferment. And so it's not um, just when you graduate. It's important to remember that if you drop below um, half time and six months later, your loans will go into repayment, um, which is the, specific to the, to the federal loans. Yeah. And the third kind of thing that I would say is you want to make sure that you stay on top of your loans. Um, when I was working with students um, through the application process, there is also um, a subsection of the students that I would work with that uh, were graduating from college, right? And I would set up spreadsheets with them that had the name of the loan servicers, um, how much they owed for each of their loans, the interest uh, for each of the loans, and whatever else 
they thought was helpful for them, right? But that like having it all in one place is really helpful, especially if you have more than one or two, more than one loan servicer, you want to make sure that you have it all in one place. Well, Gilbert, I think that this is a, a nice segue into my next question. And I think you might have even answered half of it. Aside from the obvious answer is is to call Gilbert. But I, I know my listeners can't all call you. My, my question is, actually relates to um, this narrative that we sometimes see in the headlines that you have uh, Joe's student who says, I had no idea that my student loan balance was this you know, this high or this particular number once I graduated, I wish I had known sooner what to do. And so I think you've already dropped some nuggets of tips of how to stay on top of it, maybe pay a little bit early, maybe also work on your plan for how to pay it off. For those who right now have managed to take those uh, notices that come in the mail and put them in the drawer and not open them for fear of just being overwhelmed, or those who say, this is confusing to me, I'll deal with it once I graduate. Or maybe for the one who was just looking to be proactive, let's take a more positive spin on that. What would you suggest that students who are currently enrolled and whether they're going to be graduating in let's say six months or maybe even two or three years what advice would you give them I, like I told you at first is to, to call Gilbert we can't offer them that advice uh, but what, what additional advice would you offer them about how to be proactive in taking uh, taking control over their repayment period yeah so um, if you are starting off in college, I would, I would highly recommend having that spreadsheet from day one. So that then, because it's something where the loan disperses. And so you're only updating that spreadsheet, presumably once a semester, right? So hopefully if you have that spreadsheet, um, knowledge is power. And, and really what happens is if you, if you end up being scared of the loans, then the loans control you, right? And you don't want to be put in a position where the loans are controlling you, right? So you're in charge. You're in charge of yourself. You're in charge of your education. And you're, mm-hmm. you're in charge of your financial situation. And so <clears throat> knowing how much you owe and, and what needs to get paid and when, that, that's empowering. And it's really important, right? Can it be overwhelming? I, absolutely. Can it be scary? Yes. But the only way to approach it is approaching it head on. And so what you want to do is you want to make sure that um, when you're getting closer to to graduating and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, Um, six months from now, I'm hitting my repayment period. So at that point, that's when you want to contact the loan servicer and you want to, and hopefully you have their contact information in your spreadsheet, you know who your loan servicer is, um, and you wanna make, just make sure that you understand how much do I owe, do you understand the terms, and you also know how much do I owe per month, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's good for you to keep in mind that um, if you know how much you owe per month, and you think that you cannot make that payment, the worst thing you can do is do nothing. Yeah. It's the worst thing you can do. The first thing that you want to do is you want to contact the loan servicer and try to work something out because it doesn't help the loan servicer if they don't get the payment, right? Mm-hmm. So think of it that way. Um, if they're not getting paid, then they're not happy either. So they're willing to work with you to say, we understand you might be going through a rough time. Um, what can we do? Let's see 
you know, maybe we can put you in a different um, payment plan or in, in a program so that then we can get you to a, a place where you can make those payments. Well, Gilbert, before I get into the next to last question, I, I have to say, I, I hear a very clear theme of uh, two themes, actually, in all your answers so far. The first is that it seems as though the managing of college costs doesn't have to be scary. And I would say that doesn't have to be scary because of the second thing that, that shines through all of your answers, which is to be an informed consumer. So everything that you mentioned in the first half of the show around the net price calculator and even now making a spreadsheet and being very proactive, it takes almost a little bit more of the mystery out of the whole idea of how to pay for college and where the costs come from. So I have to thank you for this very positive spin on an oftentimes very negative and uh, deficit-driven conversation. So it's been a pleasure talking with you. I have two more questions, one more in this Ask the Expert section, and then my last popular question. So the next to last question is this. I imagine in your role at Georgetown, you, you see a lot of students. You probably talk with some parents from time to time. Um, you may even have family members or friends, and those who find out that you work in financial aid have a lot of questions for you. Like, hey, I'm trying to figure out, should I go here? And I even ask you some popular questions about public versus private and in-state and out-of-state and uh, scholarships versus loans and things like that. Uh, going back to the very beginning, if you think about uh, the students who come to you for the first time, and they really just want to know, where can I go to college in the most affordable way? What's the best advice you can give somebody about where to start when they're trying to look into that type of decision? Yeah, <laughs> there's so much to cover here. Um, I mean, it could be a whole nother podcast, but uh, I'll, I'll keep it short. And I've said some of these uh, already. So the first is make sure that you're comparing apples to apples. And so what I mean by that is that you want to make sure that you're comparing what one school costs to you personally versus another school, what does that school cost to you personally? Not what does this school cost generally versus this school? Mm -hmm. And um, looking at those sticker prices, you don't want to do that. The, the second is that you wanna focus on, you wanna focus on what the school will cost you, not on the aid that you're receiving. Because if you, um, look at a school and that school costs $80,000 and you say, well, it's great because I'm receiving $50,000 in aid. Well, you still have a $30,000 gap. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have a school that maybe costs 70,000 and they've given you um, 50,000 or 40,000, 45,000, then you end up, uh, this school ends up being a little bit cheaper. Um, so you want to make sure that you're focusing on what it's going to cost you personally. Uh, and, you know, I think overall, it, looking at affordability um, is, is there's one thing when you are looking at applying to schools, I say, try to apply to a mix of schools mm -hmm. and students will focus on one school and say, this is my dream school and only apply to one. So don't be like me and apply, <laughs> and apply to only three schools or, um, you know, just pick one. What you want to do is you want to diversify. So pick a couple schools and make sure that there are schools in, in different types of schools. So maybe pick a bigger school, pick a smaller school, pick a private, um, pick a public and have a mix of schools because if you have a mix of schools then hopefully you'll have a mix of um uh 
financial aid packages that you can choose from. And you can say at the end of the day, out of these eight options, this is the best for me based off of financial aid. And I'll leave you with this, that there are three areas um, that I told students that they should always focus on. The first is that um, they should ask themselves, is this school a good financial fit? The second is, is this school a good social fit? And the third is, is this school a good academic fit? And the answer to all those questions should be yes. And if the financial, especially the financial fit, if the first two is um, yes, but the financial fit is a no, it's always heartbreaking mm. to have a student kind of um, leave because of that piece. So you want it to be a good financial fit, a good social fit, and a good academic fit. Gilbert, everything I said when I introduced you came shining through. I mean, it's obvious that you do this type of counseling and coaching all the time. It's such a great treat to have you on the show. So I have had you in the hot seat long enough in the Ask the Expert section. I've got to close with the question that I ask everybody. So in the beginning, you talked about what it was uh, like to choose Dickinson and what the factors were that made you choose to go there. Take yourself back in time um, and what it was like to make that decision. And now fast forward to, let's say, six months from now. Imagine if you're putting together a backpack for a student who's about to start at Dickinson sometime, let's say, in the next six months. What's something that you want to put in that backpack and why? So um, I am going to um, put in Maria's backpack um, the hope that she has um, thought about what she wants to do and um, asking questions. Because um, I think in terms of what you want in your kind of, so I'm thinking of this backpack as having all of my abilities, right? So, yeah. um, and, and the cool things that make me who I am. And I think uh, something that really helped me was uh, knowing that, hey, I don't have all the answers, and, but I know that there's someone here that does, and I'm going to keep asking questions until I understand what it is. And um, yeah, similar to your situation where um, you had someone help you through the financial aid process, the reason that I was successful, um, I think, was because I, uh, had a standing appointment with my financial aid counselor at Dickinson. Mm. And um, I think she got tired of me. <laughs> once a month, or um, once a semester, I went to her and I said, hey, um, I don't understand a subsidized loan. Can you please explain it to me again? I don't understand X, you know, part. I don't understand the FAFSA. And she would explain it to me over and over and over again. And I think um, that ability to ask questions and be inquisitive and be curious is something that's really important and something that uh, you're going to college to hone, but it's also something that you want to go to college um, already starting to, to know that you need. Yeah. 
So to be hopeful and inquisitive seems like the perfect combination. I want that backpack. Every time I ask this question, I want the backpack. I'm, I'm picturing, you know, hundreds, thousands of people who will hear this episode. And I hope that they will be inquisitive enough to dig into some more of their own financial situation and not be so overwhelmed or even scared about college costs. So you have helped me achieve a great thing today. I think that there will be plenty of people out there who will be much, much more excited about going to college. And I thank you for being on on the show. So in the meantime, I think I might take you up on that. Maybe at some point later on, we'll talk about another aspect of college costs, maybe graduate student college costs or something like that. I'm just, I don't want the conversation to end, but I guess for now it has to. So uh, any any last words? Where can people find out more about Georgetown's Office of Financial Aid or anything um, that you might want to leave our listeners with specific to you? Yeah. So um, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. I'm really excited. Um, to kind of disseminate this information and, yeah. and have it help as many people as possible. And um, they can learn more about uh, Georgetown at georgetown.edu. Uh, and if you decide to apply to Georgetown, I might be your financial aid advisor and you can feel <laughs> free to reach out. Well, one would be so lucky to have you, Gilbert. So thank you again for joining me on the show and I'll see you later. It's time to ask Dr. P, ask Dr. P, ask Dr. P, get the S's that you need. Today's question is from Tiffany in Texas, and she writes, Dear Dr. P, which electives should I take? Well, Tiffany, this is a great question. For those of you who are wondering what electives are, those are college courses for which you have some flexibility to choose what you'd like to learn about and get credit towards your degree or credential. Oftentimes, a degree program does not allow too many elective courses, so you should choose wisely. In terms of advice, I would suggest you take three important steps. First, talk with your academic advisor. A good question to ask your advisor is which electives are available that can be counted toward multiple degrees or majors. That way, if you change your mind about what you'd like to study, your elective course might still apply for your new area of focus. The second thing I'd suggest is that you think about why you're interested in the course and try to list three things that you want to learn. Then look up the course in your course catalog, which your Office of the Registrar can help you locate, and read the description for the course you're considering and see how it fits the list of three things. My third suggestion is that you try to find another student who has taken the course that you're interested in. If you find someone, ask them to tell you about the best and most challenging parts of their class experience. If you do these three things for each elective that you're drawn to, I'm pretty sure that will help you decide. And as a bonus tip, I'll give you a spoiler and share that my next episode will focus on college majors and how to choose the one that best fits you. If you're listening to this show and you have a question about college, please send me a note at amelia at speakingofcollege.com and I'd be glad to answer and maybe feature your question on a future show. Well, that brings this episode to a close. I hope today's conversation about college costs helps you understand your options. If you like this show, please consider subscribing and I'll be back with you and speaking of college again soon. In the meantime, I hope you have a productive and inspiring day. <laughs>